As a parent, don't put pressure on yourself to be perfect at anything. You'll have great days, you'll have not great days, and that's normal and that's okay. But, you know, I have a family, you know, we're on a one income salary because I run a free resource startup. So there is no salary coming for a little bit of time here. Uh, so just be realistic and just as long as you're happy and you're passionate about what you're doing, you'll make it somehow. It might not be how you thought it would be, but just because it gets hard doesn't mean you should just quit and find something else to do. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is Wendy Gilch. She's the owner of SellingLater.com. Wendy, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, for those that are less familiar with your company, Selling Later, can you describe the concept? How does it work? And who are the typical users or customers that you have for the business? Sure. So Selling Later is a free resource for consumers in the world of real estate. We let future home sellers publicly post their home up to one year in advance of when they actually want to sell. Uh, because studies show that buyers, I'm sorry, sellers think about selling their home five to 10 months in advance. But yet in the current state, when you list your home, you only have 36 days. And, and if you're also buying, you have 36 days to sell your home, find a new home, buy, close on your old home and move. And so we looked at this big time span of that five to 10 months where you can't do anything. And so instead of sitting on the sidelines, we wanted to open up the connections and give a resource for you to get connected with others that are also gonna be looking to buy around that same time. So essentially it's a way to put a feeler out there. So instead of waiting literally to the last minute of you're going to go ahead and put your house on the market for sale, this is, if you know you're going to move eight months from now, you can list your, your home on, on your site essentially and see if there's any interest from others in your property and maybe fill the market out a little bit more in advance and potentially maybe even find a match of a buyer. Right. Is that the idea? And if you're a buyer, it's the, it's, the, it's the reverse, right? So if you know that you're going to be buying a home here in six months or a year from now, you could start to go on the website, your website and look to see if there are homes in your area or the areas that you're interested in to see if there's something out there instead of waiting literally to a few months before you have to do it and feeling all that pressure. Right, you know, and there's that big piece of that five to 10 months where nowadays there's options on how you wanna sell your home. And, and some people might waver like, you know, maybe I wanna sell it on my own, maybe I don't. You know, but you can't do anything until you decide to officially hit the market. And it's whether, regardless of how you're selling. And so for us, it was a way to kind of experiment. Like if you're considering selling on your own, put it out there and see what happens. And some people decide to sell on their own. And some people say, hey, I don't really have the time for this. I'm just going to use an agent. And so that piece comes into play of offering that education to say, hey, here are your options on how to sell we're not going to tell you how to sell your home because we believe in consumer choice. You know, you pick what's best for you and you take the path that makes you the most in your equity that you're most comfortable with and whatever you can time you can commit to, to sell your home. Because one of the things that speeds up the process, right, is the 
is essentially the intermediaries, right? Is that one of the reasons why it's condensed to this 30 or 60 day timeframe? Because once you make the decision to list and you say, let's say you do it the traditional way and you list with a real estate agent, once you do that, that starts a timeline, right? Because they're going to now be on top of getting those pictures, getting that listing, marketing the listing. And that really starts to, that's why, is that why it's so compressed? And what you're trying to do is alleviate that, take some of that anxiety and pressure out of the system so that a person could, if not potentially find an exact match, at least they could feel with the market, how it's they're either accepting or thinking about or commenting on their property. Maybe that influences repairs. Maybe somebody right. says, wow, you got a great house, but not crazy about the color of the deck or something like that. And you might say, okay, maybe that's an improvement that I need to make before I actually go and list. Right, right. You know, and it's, it's also, we talk about, we have a, a consumer advocate that writes for us all the time. And and she says, you know, if you're planning five to 10 months in advance, like get a pre-listing inspection and see what's wrong with your home and work on fixing it. You know, just start having those conversations and that connections because for right now, with the industry being, or, I'm sorry, the market being so hot, most homes are going pretty fast, but that's not always the case. And so sometimes when you list your home and it sits for a longer period of time, that's waving like a little white flag for buyers to know like, hey, I can probably negotiate a little more because they've been on the market for 60 days and they haven't sold yet. Or, hey, there might be something wrong with their home. Like, I don't know if we should, it's been on the market too long. So, you know, you kind of take this time to take the baby steps into getting ready to sell. And the neat thing is it's up to you to decide your next steps. So if you want to find a buyer in advance and get into an agreement, that's fine. And if you want to wait and use all these names as like a Kickstarter for your marketing, we also think that that should be a negotiation tool when you get an agent because you did the work. You have a list of five names. You shouldn't be paying a standard commission, especially if some of those people end up becoming a client of that agent. You pretty much just gave them a bunch of free leads for people that are buying later and you should be paying less because of that. Another thing that we should point out that's important is doing it this way by listing on sellinglater.com means that those don't count as days on the market. That's another thing that we didn't talk about. So when you do it the traditional way for anybody listening that's never bought or sold their own home, when you initially list, the clock starts ticking of, you know, when you get on the multiple listing service, they start the days on the market and that can work against you if your property has been on the market for too long. That can sometimes, doesn't mean it's true, but it can sometimes be a signal to a potential buyer that there may be something wrong with your home or there's something wrong with something, either the terms or the asking price. And maybe that could signal, for example, maybe the home is perfect, but the price is too high and the, the seller is unwilling to negotiate or they're being very stubborn about their price. And that's the reason why it hasn't sold. And so as a potential buyer, you look at that and you say, gee, you know, am I going to waste my time negotiating on that property if they just won't come down? Is, is that the reason why maybe some of their sales have fallen through? Or there could be a problem with the property itself. Maybe it just doesn't get through inspection for some reason. By putting the property on sellinglater.com, your, your website, those are not days on the market because they're not officially listings. They're just people putting feelers out and just, it's almost like a social interaction between it's a, it's a marketplace, but it's a sort of a social interaction or more, let's call it informal interaction between potential buyers and sellers without the formality of being on a multiple listing service. Is that correct? Right, right. You know, I, I have always kind of appreciated what Craigslist did in regards to connecting people openly and freely. 
And so I kind of look at it in that way, maybe a little more modern and updated, but those same tools and, and sets of protecting your information and not selling it, which everybody does in real estate, and I refuse to participate in that. So having a safe place to have conversations without becoming a sales lead for agents and mortgage brokers. And if there's anything I've learned from starting this as just a consumer, it's your personal information makes this industry a ton of money and it's and you don't even know it's happening. Uh, so there's a big piece of our platform that's just really protecting the consumer and protecting your information. And that leads me to what I was just going to ask you, which was, you know, in in which ways is your business, sellinglater.com, taking on, let's say, some of the challenges in the traditional real estate industry? And we, we just talked about, we just mentioned one, which is privacy. We kind of talked about some of the other ones, which is the, you know, the compressed time frame and also the buying and selling of information, which is another thing you just mentioned. So what are, you know, obviously those are some of the issues. Are there other issues with the traditional real estate market that you're addressing or taking on with your business? Right. You know, and it's funny because I just started as a consumer. I've never been a real estate agent. I just made this platform to help because when we had to buy and sell, we ended up selling too early and living with my parents for four months. And so I wanted to create something that could just help people avoid that ginormous time shift and and how to coordinate everything all together. But it wasn't until probably six months after launch that I went to a real estate agent conference and my jaw was just on the floor. Like there was just no conversation about what's going to work best for the consumer. It was all about agents, lead generation. And I actually got a chance to speak on the platform and and afterwards, you know, I stood up there and basically said, hey, I want to share this information ahead of time. I'm not going to charge for it. And I'm just going to donate to nonprofits. And so I got some weird looks. And, and afterwards, I had people coming up to me saying, hey, you really should be doing referral fees. And, and I, at that point, I was like, what's a referral fee? I had no idea. And, and so, you know, in January and February, I took this deep dive into kind of behind the curtain. And I just learned about all these platforms that truly say they want to help, but all they're doing is gathering your information and selling it back to an agent. And, you know, originally it was just kind of like advertising and that's fine. But now all these platforms place themselves as a helper for you and a resource tool, but then they connect you with an agent and then they take 30% of whatever that agent earns from you. And they don't tell you that. It might be hidden in the terms, but I don't agree with that. I, I look at Real estate commissions have gone less than down, let's see, less than a percent down since 1992. So you think of all the technology that's come out and you have to look and say, wait a minute, if all these middlemen keep coming in in between the consumer and the agent and are trying to take 30%, 40%, is that part of the problem why sellers and buyers can't have an honest conversation about listing commissions and buyer rebates, you know? And sadly, more and more of these referral platforms are coming out and and they're not honest. And and so for me, that was a big eye opener to say, listen, we need to protect this information and we can't be like everyone else and be selling it because it doesn't help the agent. It doesn't help the consumer. Uh, It would only help us. And that's not really what my goal is. You just mentioned a second ago about the experience that you had when you were moving and you were buying and selling yourself and that you're coming into this industry you know, really as a consumer, not as a real estate expert, or you, you weren't a real estate salesperson or anything like that. Can you, and you, you mentioned that a second ago, can you, can you tell us a little bit more 
about that scenario? What was going on a couple years ago or recently that when you were buying and selling and you saw some flaws and through that process got inspired to create sellinglater.com? Sure. So at this point, we had lived in a townhouse in Wexford and we decided to build a home in Franklin Park. And we got on phase two way too early. So we had, I think, seven months before our house would be done. And so that would have landed us in December. And we panicked and we thought, who's going to buy our townhouse in December in Wexford? Which, you know, and I've noticed that sellers still think like this. And, you know, my neighbor actually, they're selling their home in Franklin Park. They just did. Beautiful home. Like, I know it would sell quickly. But she had the same thought process. Like, what if it doesn't sell? So, so you know, you start with that mindset and then you start to panic. And, and so we listed our townhouse and sold it too early and ended up living with my parents for four months, which for me was great, probably a little awkward for my husband. But, you know, we ended up having to move twice. And, and thankfully, this was pre-kids. I can't fathom kids and a dog moving in with your in-laws and, and moving twice and, and packing what you need versus what you don't need. And so that's when I originally thought about it. But because I was just a consumer, I thought, what do I know? You know, I can't do this. And then we had friends go through it. And, and it's almost everyone you talk to at some point has been that, as they call it, a move-up buyer, where you have to time it. And it never, it rarely, I shouldn't say never, but at times it does work out and you can close on the same day. But a lot of people carry two mortgages. They sell too early and have to move, you know, or they, have, they feel rushed and they buy a home they don't love. And I even looked at these tools and resources that are coming out that'll buy your house for you at first. And then, you know, you can pay them when you close on your old home. But there's all these fees and structures and, and commissions. Everything is rolled into that convenience of it. And so I thought, why why isn't there an easy, safe, accessible place to have these conversations in advance that that I could help someone that wouldn't have to go through what I went through? And that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to that because we had the same kind of thing happen to us just a few years ago when we moved back to Pittsburgh. We had a house to sell. We had to, we didn't sell it right away. Initially, we had some offers and some offers fell through for various reasons. And we eventually did get a buyer, but it took a little while and we had to rent a townhome essentially for, for six months while we were building a new home. So we were in that same right. scenario and that does, it's very frequent. It's, it's, it's unusual that you're going to time it up perfectly where the house, you know, you're going to buy a new house and sell a house at the same time, essentially, you know, in the same month, you know, it's, that's unusual for that to happen. So a service like yours, I could see where it definitely has some value. The other piece of it is you look at the industry and there are 2 million real estate agents in the U.S. I think last year there were 5 million homes sold. So you can do the math on there and you know that not every agent is only selling two or three homes a year. And so I, I look at that and I just thought, well, why, why are there so many? And, and that's not the agent's fault. I think that's a higher up problem with recruitment. And, but what the problem with that is, all these agents have clients that know they're going to be selling later, know they want to buy next spring, but they can't do anything about it. They can't really help them until they're ready to list. And they also have that fear of someone coming in and swooping up their client because real estate you know, being an agent's competitive. Uh, and so that was another piece to it of just to say, you know, without sellers and buyer, this this industry would not survive. But yet everybody else is holding the keys and in, in, in the control over what happens. And if you're paying for this whole industry, why why don't you have that power and control? You know, why does everybody else but you get to know what homes are selling later? 
or, you know, and honestly, and in some offices, you know, the offices, like the people working within one office know of homes that are selling later, but they're not telling other offices. And so, you know, it depends on even what agent you have. Will they know of homes selling later? Maybe, but probably not. And if not, like you're not going to find out. So it's just kind of making everything open and free. And everybody is on the same playing field, knowing what's coming, when it's selling and being able to connect. Let's talk for a second about monetization. You know, when you first started your website, you charged $20, $30 to, to list. So in other words, a person went on your website, they wanted to list their home and the details and pictures. You would charge a 20 to $30 fee for that. And then the person who was looking potentially to buy, they were, it was free for them. They would, could go on and browse. But you've since taken that away. And it's, it's right now, as it sits, it's a, it's a free service. Do you have plans to monetize your business, your website at some point in the future? I'm curious how you think about monetization. You know, do you have any strategies around that? And are there any things that you will not do because they violate your own internal principles or you've already drawn a line in the sand and you said, you know, I'm just not going to do, you know, that one thing, whether it's advertising or, or something that you just won't do. And which things do you think you will be able to do? Sure. You know, so originally it just started as a, a very inexpensive pay one-time fee to post your home. And then we donated a portion of that back to a nonprofit. But once the virus hit and things just shut down and things went crazy, I just figured, you know, let's just make it free. It just needs to be a helpful resource and, and we'll navigate this as we go along. Uh, and, and so I switched to the free model, but we do ask that if you use it, you still donate to uh, one of our four giving back partners just so that we can help. You know, if, if anything of this virus, the nonprofit sectors are gonna be really hit hard. And so for me, that's kind of a key sticking point. When you talk about values, you look at the real estate industry and you look at the billions of dollars going in referrals. And so my key value is, hey, those referral fees should go back to the consumer and to nonprofits. Um, so that's a key thing that I'm always going to be sticking to. So, you know, for selling later on a monetization standpoint, I'll never do referral fees. I won't do commission shares. I, I don't I don't want any part of that. And that's between the consumer and the agent. We've gone around a few times about other things we can do. And it's funny, I guess it's just part of being in that weird startup segment where you're just trying to figure it out. You know, you I went in thinking selling later would be one thing. I had my mind blown when I went to that real estate agent conference. And now you just look at everything very different. And and so now it's kind of I'm in this pivot of figuring out exactly how that's going to play out. And I'm kind of excited because in December, we're going to be rolling out a real estate panel. There are many, many agents in Pittsburgh, but there's a very core group that has the consumer's interest as like, that's their priority, not themselves, the consumer's interest. So I'm playing around with this idea of having a Pittsburgh real estate panel that would launch on December 1st, that I have an ex, uh, let's say 10 people in different categories throughout the city of Pittsburgh that a consumer can ask any question to, and that person is not allowed to share your information. They're not allowed to profit from your information. And all they can do is give you unbiased education to whatever question you have about real estate. So we're going to kind of be playing with that model to see what that looks like. But, but even if that is the route I go with a monetization strategy, it's not going to be based on referrals or leads. It would just be an inexpensive fee because, again, that value set of, you know, this is between the agent and the consumer. And I don't want to be the middleman taking a bunch of money in between them. I don't, I don't think it's fair. And I think that's causing a big problem in the industry. 
Are you essentially creating a for sale by owner marketplace? You know, because, you know, is there a role for the real estate agent or the intermediary on your platform? Because if you look at the way that you've set it up, you have individuals, again, they're not counting against their days on market. They're just informally putting their property on the website and you have potential buyers who are also going on the website to search. And hopefully over time you have enough scale, right? That, that, that marketplace grows and grows and grows and more people are doing that. And a result of that, because you are being very strict about referral fees and being very strict about solicitation rules, not allowing solicitation on the website and being very careful of how you monetize it and you're not making this another, just another advertising, essentially website or lead builder, lead generation for real estate agents out there, because you're taking this very careful approach, one way that that, that could evolve, we don't know, it's not been around long enough, maybe we don't, you don't know yet, but one way that could evolve is it, it could be known in the marketplace by the consuming public as a place to go for, for sale by owner, because if you're putting it out there in advance and somebody's looking and there's really not an intermediary at that point and people are linking up or they're, they're having those uh, conversations, right? They see a house that they like, they're reaching out directly because I know that you have a private communication tool where people can communicate privately without their information being known. Now, at some point, if they want to release that to each other, there's probably a way to do that. So it's possible that your website could evolve to being known as a for sale by owner website. I'm curious if that were to happen, is that something that you would embrace, that you would lean into, that you would pivot more towards and say, I didn't know that that was going to happen, but if that's how people are using the site, how can I do that and still accomplish all of my goals? Or do you see that as a negative if it were to evolve that way and that you want real estate agents or other intermediaries to somehow be a part of it, you know, in, in the future? You know, I... I never thought of it as a for sale by owner. And, and it's funny because when I go through and I talk to the people that have used it, 70% had a plan to use an agent in some shape or form. And a couple of those people were just wanting to like get the names, get the conversations going, package it up, hand it to their agent and let their agent do all the work. But then they're paying a lesser commission structure. Uh, there are about 20% that really probably wanted to do for sale by owner and just wanted to test the waters and see what happened. And then there's like a small percentage that just wasn't sure what they wanted to do. And, and it's kind of just putting the feelers out there. So, you know, I, I don't know if I'd want it to just be for sale by owner, because I think that that probably limits a little bit. And, and it gets hard because when you're for sale by owner, you know, in Pittsburgh, a lot of buyers still use a buyer's agent. So then you get stuck with okay, well then who's going to pay that two and a half percent to my buyer's agent? How is that going to work? And, and that's a whole other structural conversation of this industry that probably needs to be looked at. But I just like not telling people what they should do. And if the bulk of the group comes in and it just keeps going towards for sale by owner, that's something I'd look at. But, but I just think there's a lot of different ways to sell right now. And in, in this industry, everybody points their finger at, you know, oh, why would you use an agent? And then now agents look at the agents that charge only 1% and call them discount agents and say, why would you use a discount agent? And then all the agents look at for sale by owner and think, why would you sell for sale by owner? Or why would you use an iBuyer? And, and I think we're at a point in, in 2020 that, you know, we have options and what works for you isn't going to work for someone else. So 
in my heart, I feel like the longest I can stay as an unbiased resource for however you want to sell, I would love to keep it that way. And if if the overwhelming majority wants to do for sale by owner, you know, we'll add more resources and tools for that. But but I think we're underestimating the options that you have and, and the things that you can do. And when you have 10 months to figure it out, you have plenty of time to cost out what all those options are going to cost you and, and pick the one that works best for you. Now, when you're building a platform-based business like you're building, scale is vitally important. As we just mentioned a second ago, the more, the more people that are on your site, the more listings, the more homes that are up there, the more images, the more people that are going to look at those images, the more valuable the whole thing is, right? Because then it becomes known as a place to go to see homes that are selling later or the place to go to list for people that want to sell later. So you, you want it to be this large marketplace. How do you think about scale and what are your strategies or ideas around attracting users, continually attracting new people to the site? You know, I think the key is finding other companies that think like I do. And, you know, you have the big ginormous brokerages and you have the iBuyers, but there are a ton of pockets of people that offer a la carte selling services. So you want to sell on your own? Here, I'll do this for a transactional fee. You want me to do all the work? Here, it'll cost this. So there's all these pockets of of those type of services that are developing and growing. And there are a, there's a really great group of consumer advocates in this space too, that I feel like once we all start working together to showcase the resources and the tools and educate consumers on where their information is going and the amount of companies that are taking advantage of them, I think that's going to be a much easier way to start to scale and grow further. But, you know, it's a ginormous project. And I know we've talked about this. You know, I am one person taking on an industry that's worked the same way for like 100 years. But that's not a reason for me to say, oh, never mind, I quit. You know, so it's just a matter of connecting with the right people that believe in consumer choice and believe in educating consumers that it's just kind of have to grow organically once people understand and take back that power and control because it is your money. It is your equity. You know, you're paying for this for 30 years. So this system should work the best it should for you. You shouldn't be at the, the whim of whatever happens in 36 days. Now with an online business, technology is important. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have an online platform and, you know, technology is a big part of this. It's technology is expensive. So have you raised capital yet for your business? Do you envision a time in the future, if you haven't already, where you will need to raise capital? And have you talked to the investment community at all so far? Because you have been in operation now for a little over a year and a half or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so you have a workable model, right? That that somebody can act. It's not just an idea in your head anymore. This is, you've executed on this. And so somebody can go and really look at it. I'm curious if you've done that, what sort of feedback you've gotten from the investment community? Yeah, you know, originally I, and I've always been open about this. I appreciate Craigslist. But when you go to like a VC meeting and you say, I want to be kind of like Craigslist, you kind of lose their attention pretty quickly. So I thought, okay, I'm probably not a candidate for a VC and I've gone through a lot of the workshops and I've talked to different people and, and you know, that's okay. Like, I don't really think that's where my heart is. You know, I, if I end up just being a small business that's profitable and successful and, and solves this problem, I, I'd be happy with that. And I also learned that for VCs, they're going to want you to sell information. That's the cash cow in the industry. And, 
And that goes against my value set. So that's off the table. I learned that this summer. So I'm not a candidate for VC. So we can scratch that off of what I should be doing. Um, But, you know, so far I've bootstrapped and there are some key elements I need to put back into the program. But I'm just still working through the finite pieces of the business model. I think before I would commit to any sort of investment, I just think I want to make sure I have everything in line strategies in place, everything that fit works perfectly before I'd want to take on the responsibility of, of having someone else's money. Now, as we just mentioned, you started last year and I believe this may be your first startup that you've ever embarked on. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think this is your first startup. If it is, what lessons have you learned so far about starting a business from scratch? Oh, <laughs> how much time do we have? You know, I've I have learned that when you are a female first-time founder, you're a mom, you don't live in the big cities, and you go to a college that not many people have heard of, hi to everyone at Slippery Rock University, uh, you don't become the best candidate for certain investors. But I've learned that's okay. You know, I don't want to work with people that judge you right off the bat for five things that shouldn't matter. And quite frankly, Moms are the hardest working people in the business that can manage everything. We're like the queens of, of multitaskers. So shame on you if you don't look at moms in a different aspect in that way. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is embracing change and knowing that how you start your company, it's going to change and it's going to evolve. You know, I started after six months thinking sun later would be one thing. And then I pivoted to consumer advocacy. And now it's something totally different. Most of all, I think you got to follow your gut and don't let money sway you from your values. And don't think that everybody has it together because nobody does. And I know, you know, you follow people in the business world on social media, but everybody at some point or another has troubles with their business. Everybody has to navigate the world of investment and everybody's trying to figure out how to make the best choices. So if you're having a tough time and you're muscling through things, you're not alone. That's 100% normal. Wendy, as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs and business owners who are starting their own businesses? Maybe somebody like you that is in their first year, their second year of their business. Maybe somebody like you who's tackling an industry or has an idea for a business that's in, in an area that they don't really come from traditionally, just like you with real estate, but you came from it from a consumer mindset and you're approaching it that way. And that's taught you a lot of lessons. What advice would you have for somebody who maybe is in a, a similar position as you are? And you know, maybe they're also a first time founder and a parent as well. What kinds of things have you learned on your journey so far that, that you could share? Yeah, you know, I think what I wish I would have done the most is found more advisors and people that think similar to me to be able to just talk to and bounce ideas off of. Especially when you're by yourself, you kind of, you're going with your gut, but sometimes you just want a second opinion. And my husband listens to me talk all the time about this, but he's he's so far out of the real estate world, he's in like the finance world. And so finding like people that can advise you you know, but also tell you when you might be wrong because you need that, you know, and you need to be humble enough to accept that and listen to that, but also take it with a grain of salt because, you know, everybody has a different viewpoint and opinion. So you kind of take it, sit on it, take what pieces you want from it and and move forward. As a parent, don't put pressure on yourself to be perfect at anything. 
you'll have great days, you'll have not great days, and that's normal and that's okay. You know, I think that when you're a founder, there's so much pressure to work really hard and, you know, you get judged if you're not putting in 60, 70 hours a week. And and that's not possible for me, but that doesn't mean that I should quit because I'm putting in like 45 hours this week instead of 70 but, you know, I have a family, you know, we're on a one income salary because I run a free resource startup. So there is no salary coming for a little bit of time here. Uh, so just be realistic and just as long as you're happy and you're passionate about what you're doing, you'll make it somehow. It might not be how you thought it would be. Your position might change and your company might totally pivot to something else. But just because it gets hard doesn't mean you should just quit and find something else to do. Wendy, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com the startupshop.net, that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh Podcast. Take care.